0: We have one quick piece of housekeeping. Next week, we are taking a week off of the podcast, and there won't be an episode posted because um, it is the week of Thanksgiving, and we're all going to be busy traveling or being with our families or getting ready for the holidays, so we just won't be able to record. So enjoy um, your your Thanksgiving, everybody, and we'll be back the following week with an episode on November 30th.
1: Very, very carefully.
0: Hey, it's me again. Eat
1: him up. Enjoy it.
0: Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be talking about the emotional impact that we've all been kind of sitting with this week and whether or not we can separate art from the artists that create it. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, let's answer the question, what's one thing that made you laugh or at least smile this week? Lawson, why don't you start us off?
3: Hi, I'm Lawson Soward. I'm an art director in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh yeah, a lot of spent a lot of this week on Twitter. And a lot of it's been very uh hasn't made me smile. Um But there was one tweet that I got sent from a friend of the pod, Chris uh, Jardu, And it was just at the exact right moment. I don't know whether I was uh, weariness fatigued or what. But it was, um, God, reading a tweet is so ineffective. (laughs) Um, Have you guys, uh, did did you ever, Lucas, you may be my best shot at this. Did you ever (laughs) play uh, or remember the game Gex? Gex? No. It was a game, it was like a gecko who was like James Bond. It was like for Nintendo 64 or PlayStation or something. This
0: sounds terrible. This is Lawson, weird. This sounds kind of familiar.
3: <laughs> okay, You're Sandra. You're getting a yes from Sandra. Sandra, I'm so sorry. I should not have doubted it. Yeah, so... No, you um, should
0: have doubted. No, yeah. no, okay.
3: <laughs> Nobody wants to admit that so, they've heard of this. So this gecko is wearing a tuxedo and holding a pistol and anyway... The tweet is, um, let's, oh man, reading this is such a bad idea. Let's talk about Gex, baby. Let's talk about Gex 3D. (laughs) Let's talk about all the wisecracks and the one time Gex could ski. And I don't even know what
2: song that's supposed to be. It's Let's Talk About about Sex. Let's Talk About
3: Sex. So anyway, it was puns. (laughs) It was rhyming. It was a very specific call back to a video game i hadn't even thought about that was a bad video game even when it was out in like 1998 and so it was just all the things to make me think of uh a simpler happier time and i laughed out loud sorry for the long answer but there it is no wow. that's
0: okay wow. that's what made you laugh
3: super specific man <laughs> yeah it was it it took a lot to cut through this week
1: yeah well, I'm Lucas Wright, a designer from the Bay Area, and mine is super broad. I'm just going to go just as broad as possible. John Oliver made me laugh and smile this week. Last week tonight has been the greatest thing in the last couple months, um, and this week's episode was something that really, I feel like, was needed after this election.
0: Uh, I'm sure. I'm Sandra Omstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee, and today I rewatched. Every single one of James Corden's Spill Your Guts or Fill Your Guts videos. Have y'all seen these? No. Okay. You got to watch all of them because it's a segment he does with celebrities where he either, either one celebrity or a group of celebrities, they all sit at this table filled with really disgusting food items. And the just the whole game is he gets to ask you an incredibly uncomfortable question to answer and you can either spill your guts and answer the question or fill your guts and eat something disgusting um and then it, and then they get to do the same with him and it's really really just nice. base and funny nice um,
4: yeah
0: i people gagging at like a salmon <laughs> smoothie is gonna always make oh, me laugh oh man <laughs> so, so truth so,
1: or dare with gross food
0: basically yeah Got um it. My favorite, I think, of them is Jimmy Kimmel because he is so great at it. Um, so I would recommend that one especially. So in addition to the three of us this week, we are happy to have a guest with us. We have Lindsay Soward with us tonight. Hey, Lindsay, why don't you introduce yourself?
2: Hi, guys. Happy to be here. I'm Lindsay Soward. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I am married to Lawson, um, and I'm a nanny. Well, I work a lot of hours in... And- because of daylight savings time, I haven't been outside in the sunlight without being at work, you know, in a while. And uh, on Saturday, I got out in the middle of the day, and our friend Liz um, wants to paint a room in her house, and she had no idea what she wanted. And she and I went to Home Depot together. And I don't know if you guys have played with that screen where you can like put in a paint color, and they have all these sample rooms you can try out the color in. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? No. I yeah at Home Depot. This. This yeah, the
3: game is so fun.
2: It's so fun. It's so fun. I played with it all the time as a kid because my parents were constantly repainting things. Anyway, yeah. so we played with this for like, I mean, 30 minutes maybe, and we were like, she was like, I want to do this like bright pink color, and then we'd put it on these walls, and she was like, Oh, oh no, 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 no. It's so bad, it's so bad. Um, I don't know. It's not I mean, nothing's funny in the retelling, but it was just so <laughs> it was so nice to have something stupid and silly and trivial and um, absolutely that didn't matter in the scope of the world it felt so good to have something light like that Yeah. yeah that's it was
0: one thing is that i think we can all agree with is that i like we were all very focused this week and so you want to keep that focus but small moments are necessary and definitely appreciated um So I think that kind of leads us into one thing that we want to talk about before we get into our picks for what we're feeling this week is just about how we've been feeling this week (laughs) instead of what we're feeling about pop culture. Um, You know, obviously, I think this election hit us incredibly hard, all four of us. Uh, When we recorded last week, we recorded the night before the election, and listening to that recording is so bizarre to listen to us so carefree and <laughs> excited simpler uh,
3: times,
0: it really? They really, really were. was well, like yeah. I said,
3: I'm jealous because you guys have less anxiety because things' over. I didn't I wasn't thinking about there's only one result that oh, makes there could less you anxiety not have I know <laughs> I feel so. We, I just feel like we weren't, we weren't prepared for this. Like the whole tone of the campaign was one person making some, you know, actual policy statements, and then the other person uh, enduring scandal after scandal. And um, the fundamental argument of Clinton's campaign was Trump's unfit to be president, and I don't think anyone thought. this would happen and no one kind of entertained it I think all of us um, would say that we have differing the four of us have different political opinions about things and we have things that we're really passionate about in politics causes we really uh, care about maybe we're more to the left on one issue more to the right on another but all of us all those divisions didn't matter we were all very much um, against uh, the outcome that that came to pass. So it has been, I have been listening to a lot of uh, like Rage Against the Machine music and um, <laughs> uh, reading a lot of Twitter. Like my, my consumption has been either like very intentional, like get myself amped up because this is uh, a time when we can no longer take for granted that government is moving in a way that uh, is going to be on the side of the marginalized and so um, it's been like pump up music or it's been like kind of try to chill out and take it easy and um, rest and recover it's music it hasn't been a bunch of um, trivial videos and stuff very much for me
1: media consumption has been super low this week (laughs) yeah Yeah, not a lot. Uh, Mostly, yeah, I would say for me as well, just a lot of reading on Twitter. Twitter has been super helpful. Um, My wife's sister was in town with her kids, so (laughs) it was great getting to hang out with them. Um, But, yeah, I basically just took a – I just sidelined myself for the week.
0: Yeah, I – media was a tricky thing for me this week because um, I felt – Like, all I wanted to be doing was either talking to friends about this or listening to people talk about it on Twitter. I was just – my eyes were glued to Twitter for days and days. And, you know, one thing that's, I think, significant about my media consumption this week is that, you know, normally I listen to tons of podcasts on a regular basis. I -hmm. listen to them, like, during the workday and, like, as I'm driving – And I could not bring myself to listen to any podcast this week. I think I was so afraid of listening to
1: episodes (laughs)
0: that came out before the election.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And hearing people talk so sure of themselves or so hopefully. And Mm. then I also didn't want to listen to any episodes that came out after the election Mm -hmm. because the pain felt so raw in myself that to hear – just people on podcasts talk about it was would be a little too much. And so now I have this library of podcast episodes built up and I don't know
3: with intros like this. Uh, yeah. Exactly.
0: Exactly. I mean we're definitely like contributing to the exact thing that I am avoiding in my my own consumption. But yeah, that that was the strangest thing. I didn't watch very much TV or I just I really just kind of like you said Lucas I my eyes were on Twitter and I I couldn't even even things like Instagram felt so bizarre to step into the world where um it was just kind of like pick pretty pictures like that just felt weird yeah. to consume this week. Well, you know, I, I I kind of just wanted us to acknowledge what a strange week this has been um specifically in our guards media but also just emotionally for all of us. And yeah. um, I want anyone who listens to this know that, like, I'm sure you have people that are surrounding you that are feeling the same kind of pain that you're feeling. But if you don't, I want you to know that we are. And um, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're, going, we're all going through this exact same thing. Um,
1: or you're not because you voted for Trump.
0: You know, that we know, I think we all know people that did and so um yeah if you did then you get to hear what this has felt like for us um and if you follow us on twitter then i think you're pretty well aware of how we've felt this week (laughs) um so yeah did you have something else you wanted to say Lawson?
3: uh just a final kind of throwaway note on this even though it doesn't necessarily involve pop culture per se um, like you were saying, we know and love people who voted a lot of different ways on this. Um, but I think that there are some basic um, human kindnesses and stuff that, that everyone wants to see uh, stay a part of uh, the experience of living in our country. And so uh, I did something today for the first time that I've never done before, which was uh, call my state representatives, and uh, you can even call the Speaker of the House. Um, Those numbers are readily accessible online and leave voicemails. Um, It was really surreal to hear Paul Ryan's outgoing voicemail um, and be able to leave a message saying, uh, please don't put Stephen Bannon in the White House. He's a white supremacist. I'm asking you to do everything in your power to stop this from happening. it was a really good feeling to remember that this is a this is a democracy, and for all of the flaws of it, like it really is supposed to be representative of the people. And so, uh, regardless of how you vote, if you have um, passions, if you have things that you uh, can't help but but speak, please donate time and money to important organizations and make sure that you make your voice heard um, with your representatives because that's you know the country we live in all these these awesome smartphones that we use to consume all this media can also be used to uh, affect governmental change Um, and I think I have been complacent in areas and took for granted certain things that I didn't even realize I was so I want to say that I was encouraged by that experience and encourage anyone listening who thinks um, who feels kind of helpless that that's a good place uh, to start google those numbers and keep going.
0: And, you know, Lawson, later in this episode, we're going to talk about using our dollars as media consumers to say, like, whether we support something or not. Like, very specifically when it comes to movies and television. Um, but, of course, like you said, that, like, definitely also applies to our politics and our charities. And so, and brands that support politics that we find abhorrent. So, um, Keep our, We just have to keep purchasing decisions in mind because they affect a lot of great change.
3: Yeah, and I'm talking too much, but I hope that everyone listening knows that it is very difficult in general to completely separate your politics from your consumption of media and art. Like, there is no objective review. There is no objective reviewer. Um, so even if we tried to not say a single thing about how we felt this week, like, it was going to come out um, one way or another. So... Um, Hopefully that this helps you feel, like Sandra was saying, a sense of solidarity. And if this is really too much um, politics for you, just know that it's uh, kind of of inevitable. So we're not not trying to do a different thing. This is not going to become a politics podcast. But anyway.
0: But I will always go on feminist rants so you're <laughs> signing up for that as a listener to our podcast and how <laughs>
2: can't
1: <laughs> um, get away from it
0: <laughs> so that's what i'm here for that's my specialty so yeah um, I can't wait that's to get started. why we brought Lindsay onto the podcast this week. <laughs> um so before we get into our main topic let's talk about what we're feeling this week so lawson why don't you start us off what are you feeling this week
3: yeah, I'll just finish up my section of talking too much. All right, <laughs> I uh, like I said, I've been listening to a lot of really uh, hard Rage Against the Machine rap and uh, amazing artists uh, in that genre are Run the Jewels. They have amazing tracks and they released another track early um, this week because of the election results. Um, Childish Gambino is coming out with a new album very soon and dropped a track this week. Those were very encouraging to listen to and like nice little bright spots in my week. But um, to veer a little bit out of my typical lane, what I'm feeling this week is the album Blue by Joni Mitchell. Um, I've never listened to Joni Mitchell before and I walked in after a very hard Wednesday um, to this album playing in our house. And it was some of uh the first feelings of of peace and uh calm that I had felt in you know like forty eight hours and it was uh of course, it didn't make things go away, but it was it was so soothing and and spoke to my heart and uh just spoke to me in ways that were. Uh, really deep and I, I got the impression based on this album and um, you know seeing it in other pop culture places seeing it in uh, referenced in Love Actually but never listening to it and knowing a bunch of people whose uh, taste in music and who's uh, the way they live their life is like just I admire everything about it being super into Joni Mitchell um, I just I kind of heard it and got it and I think the music is, is so good and so beautiful that uh, I would have got it had it not been um, such an emotionally raw moment, but as it was, it, um, it was just absolutely what I needed, um, and so I want to play a, a short clip from the titular song on that album, Blue.
4: Songs are like tattoos, you know I've been to see before. me all
3: Yeah, the whole album as a cohesive um, work is really what uh, spoke to me, and I listened to it after hearing it that one time. I listened to several more of her albums, but I just kept coming back to Blue. Um, It's beautiful, and if you need uh, a respite, um, I know there's a lot of a need for uh, inspiration and action, but if you need a respite, I can't recommend any work of music more this week. So I'm feeling Joni Mitchell's blue. Uh,
2: so Lawson mentioned this was playing in the house. I am the only other person that lives in Lawson's house, so I was playing Joni Mitchell.
3: <laughs> Our dog <laughs> Fitz did not start the music. No.
2: Um, and I will say that I was first introduced to Joni Mitchell through the film You've Got Mail, um, and her song River um, is in that film, and I loved it. And so in high school, when it first kind of... I became wise to downloading music illegally, um, since I had, you know, no money to spend on Joni Mitchell albums. I downloaded <laughs> that song and a few of her others, and um, I downloaded the album Blue. And I haven't listened to it frequently, but it felt like the ease and the solace that I needed. So um, I'm glad you liked it, Lawson. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to share that.
3: And we need so. to be a lot more careful about talking about illegally downloading things in the past. Now that Trump is going to run the NSA. <sighs> Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, Joni Mitchell is always, like, an, a musician that I've never really spent time with. The only song of hers that I know is Both Sides Now, which is stunningly beautiful, mm-hmm. and I mostly know it because I've heard it played in, like, several movies and TV shows to great effect. Right. Right. The main one is um, Love Actually. You know, Joni Mitchell mm-hmm. is, like, kind of a plot point in that movie. Right. And... Yeah, and so she's an artist that when I do hear her music, I'm blown away by it, and yet for some reason I've never sought it out.
3: Yeah, no, I'm the exact same way, Sandra. I've never, I've never looked for it either. If it hadn't been playing, I wouldn't have known. But glad I stumbled across it, and if anyone stumbles across it because of this podcast and it is uh, good for them, then even better.
0: Right. <laughs> so, Lindsay, what are you feeling this week? So this week, I'm
2: feeling The New Yorker, <laughs> the publication. Um, but I guess as an intro point, uh, I wanna mention Emily Nussbaum, who is their TV critic. So The New Yorker's a weekly magazine, um, and I started getting it a couple years ago. I asked for a subscription for Christmas because I felt like on Twitter and various platforms, I kept coming across New Yorker articles that I wanted to read. So I thought like, oh, I'm sure I would love the entire magazine. And I do. Um, but Emily Nussbaum is their TV critic, and this year she actually won a Pulitzer for her criticism. And I want to read um, the sentence uh, on, like on the Pulitzer website. It says, you know, Emily Nussbaum of The New Yorker, for television reviews written with an affection that never blunts the shrewdness of her analysis or the easy authority of her writing. And I feel like that is both beautifully written and an apt description of what she does um like all of you I love TV and I think that her writing is um as I said both kind and caring but um never looking past the work and um I think she does a good job of of really immersing herself in what's there um and I follow her on Twitter and so I guess I can really see that um on Twitter because she'll tweet about things you know for months sometimes before she actually puts out an article, so I've enjoyed that too. Um, But on a bigger note and more towards the election, I would say that um, I have found my favorite journalism that has happened this election, and I think some of the most incisive and straightforward journalism that I've read has come from The New Yorker. And so it's definitely a publication, personally, that I want to be supporting um, for the next couple of years. And the most recent article that Emily Nussbaum wrote for The New Yorker is called Fox Eats Crow." And it's a piece of television criticism about Fox News. And uh, she talks quite a bit about Megyn Kelly specifically in this article. But um, but I really enjoyed reading it. And I thought it was a really helpful and interesting um, angle, I guess, on this election.
0: So, Lindsay, um, as a TV critic, what are some of the shows that Emily Nussbaum like, specifically tends to write about that yeah. I assume you watch?
2: Right. So um, she writes about... I mean, I would say a variety of shows, but, you know, I think, um, the more highbrow stuff she's definitely going to write about. Recently, she's written about Westworld. Um, she's written about the BBC series, um, Dirty Bird. Um, she wrote about Atlanta. Um, she wrote about,
3: um... Bojack Horseman.
2: Yes, thank you, Bojack Horseman. Um... Mr. So Robot. All the things I love. Yeah. yeah. Is
0: like, a specific, like, I love this show and I love reading about what she has to say about this show in particular for you? Um,
2: I think, okay, She she's the person that turned me on to the show Jane the Virgin. Okay. Um, yeah. I watched that show because of her, and... It's on, I think it's on the CW. I watch it online, but I think it's on the CW. And I don't watch CW shows. But Emily Nussbaum had so many good things to say about this show and how heartwarming and how charming and how thoughtful it was. And I finally just gave in and watched it. Um, And I think I just really appreciate, I feel like, you know, most shows are very male-driven and have a lot of male writers and people involved in the process. And so I enjoy her perspective, um, as a feminist, um, both she and I being feminists. And I think that, um, that it's nice for me to have that lens to look into film because I feel like a lot of critics are, um, men or don't, don't approach it in that way. And if, I mean, she's not a critic who spends a lot of time saying here's a trigger, there's a trigger, but she will say if she feels like things are gratuitous or she will kind of put out a warning of, you know, this is for this audience. And I really trust her take on those things. Um And I tend to agree with her when she watches Game of Thrones and says, I feel like it's a guilty pleasure. But man, I found some of the stuff gratuitous. I've, you know, tended to f-
0: find that I feel the same way.
1: So what you got to do. You got to find a critic that just is right up your alley. Yeah. And
0: you know, uh, you're that, in great
1: shape. <laughs> I, yeah,
0: yeah, thank you. We really need to do maybe a podcast episode where we talk about in addition to, you know, each other, who are the mm-hmm. main people that we listen to for takes on media and that we put a lot of trust in?
3: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's true. It's a good idea. It's a good one. Yeah, I wish I could remember uh, the specific article or what they said, but I remember you reading or sending me an article that she had written about Mad Men back when that was airing that was yeah. really, really good.
2: Yeah. Back um, in the day. At the very end of the show, she wrote a piece. I can't remember if she wrote about it at other times. And that's another thing I will say is that you know, by the nature of she's not even writing a TV review per week. Um, mm-hmm. And so she's often encountering shows not in their first season but in their second or third or, you know, later on. And so that's one of the things I like about it too is sometimes you can can look back and say, oh man, she wrote about Mad Men in season one and occasionally she'll write about a show again um, or, or in season seven. And so I think that the tone is really different too and – I don't know I think that's fun I guess that's true of all critics but um but it's something that I like is that it's not always just like she watches a pilot and then reviews from there you know
0: right right well that is a great pick Lindsay and I am hoping to yeah borrow some New Yorkers from you and get started reading on my own No problem. Um, yeah Lucas what are you feeling this week
1: Well, as I said earlier, um, my nephew and niece were in town, so I got to hang out with them this week, which has been great. Um, But it also got me to watch a lot of things that I wouldn't normally watch, like children's television shows, uh, children's movies, that kind of thing. Uh, But this week, I watched Monsters Inc. two times (laughs) in two days. Only two?
2: Only two times. Because little kids do that.
1: (laughs) I know. Well, I it was watched more than that. I just only sat through it once. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Apparently, that's something kids do is watch the same movie over and over again. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I I haven't watched Monsters Inc. in years and years, but it was so cool getting to revisit um, an early Pixar movie. Um, I was actually reading this. Article came out a long time ago, but Slate Slate put out an article having kids review all of Pixar's movies. Um, oh, that sounds awesome! And just what 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 they thought about it versus what critics thought about it. Um, and it turns out Monsters Inc. was the the number one kids rated.
3: Uh, Pixar movie. This came out before Inside Out. Um, I feel so like I don't kids would what... have chosen like just the sections of Cars with Mater. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like obnoxious. Yeah.
1: Surprisingly, Cars rated pretty low on this on this uh this ranking for kids because it's a bad movie. Uh, the children are our future. Well, I, I agree. I agree. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. It rated low for uh for critics as well. Yeah. But uh they loved sequels and they loved Monsters <laughs> Inc. <laughs> So, there you go. Um, but I also found out that Bugs Life is not not uh, very high on people's lists. For yeah. kids, I mean. I'm talking the kid audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, my nephew, That's a pretty
0: high concept Pixar movie. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's also apparently super terrifying. Those grasshoppers are a nightmare. <coughs> yeah, Just absolutely. nightmare fuel. Um, but yeah, so we he did not want to watch that. So we watched Monsters, Inc. twice. And I love that movie. That movie just getting to watch it twice in like two days the second time i was really able to kind of pick it apart and like look into um kind of the the depth of the storytelling there and the setup um and it 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 really i think speaks to how pixar set up their their studio as a story first studio spend lots of time kind of developing a story and kind of working through this um to get something that is really meaningful and really, uh, speaks to kids as well as adults, which is something that Pixar has done really well over the years. Um, we can argue about Cars 2 later, but (laughs) overall I feel like Pixar has done a fantastic job of kind of how they've set up these movies and, um, and just the quality involved. So, and the animation is, uh, is, is not great actually looking back for to a 2001 (laughs) animated movie. Yeah. It would be
0: so interesting to watch Monsters, Inc. and Monsters University back to back because Monsters University is gorgeously animated, Mm -hmm. at least in my opinion. And, you know, I think to see them back to back and see that quality would be interesting, that growth. I remember
3: watching Monsters, Inc. after seeing Monsters University because when I saw Monsters University, I thought it was like, oh, yeah, this is how Monsters, Inc. looked. And watching it afterwards, like, oh, man.
1: (laughs) yeah you can really uh, you can really see how 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 far Pixar has come in their animation quality, especially like, yeah, so I watched Piper, which came out before finding Dory, and that is a beautifully animated oh. short, just so good. Um, and so yeah, just watching both of those, I was like, man, they have come a long way just with that that Silicon Valley technology. I'm telling you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure have. over there in the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, Lindsay, you watch a lot of kids' movies. Yes, I'm assuming, I do. Yes. As a nanny. Um, what is your favorite Pixar movie?
2: Well, I'm at a hard point because all the kids I watch are three and under, so they're not hey, quite. My
1: nephew's three. Okay, okay. That was a Monsters Inc. He was scared so, at the beginning, but, I'm, but it, it worked.
2: <laughs> you can start introducing them to, I think, a wider variety at about age three. Before that, mm-hmm. they won't sit for a movie. So I That's think true. Um, this week I've watched 101 Dalmatians. Well, I guess last week I watched 101 Dalmatians four times. Um, and that was great. You know, that's one that I hadn't seen in a long time. And I hadn't sat yeah. and watched it through, and I really enjoyed it. That's not Pixar, so that doesn't answer your question. No. Um, <laughs> I think that, oh man, I think The Inside Out is the Pixar movie I've enjoyed the most, but I haven't mm. watched it with any of my kids yet. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I think right now their favorite is Cars. Okay. That but makes they're sense. so young. I'm not. I'm not going to hold them to that. Yeah, I'm not going to judge them on their (laughs) They might develop good taste. You know, by the age of five, I feel like they're going to be much more discerning about their uh... They
3: add you on Facebook when they're 35, and you're like, whatever, you liked cars. I don't believe any of stuff.
2: (laughs) I mean...
1: Well, according to me and slate they're gonna like monsters inc so there you go. maybe
2: that's the next one i should bring up that's a great idea <laughs> yeah. i've
1: been listening to, be, to this podcast yeah yeah, yeah. Right.
2: nope, nope. No <laughs> swear words. yeah
1: this this episode particularly will probably have lots of expletives so
2: there right you go. they got in a lot of trouble for saying blockhead today since they watched charlie brown halloween they're saying blockhead oh. Big problem. So yep, you gotta, not good. gotta be careful. This podcast is uh, a <laughs> not rated G,
0: y'all. Nope. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Lucas. Uh, yeah. Monsters Inc. I think is holds a deep a dear place in all of our hearts, and very it's true. A fun reminder to check it out again. Agreed. Yeah. So what I'm feeling this week is um, a movie that I often call my favorite movie. I after the election. The, the following day, you know, was one of probably the hardest days of the week. And after spending the entire day on Twitter and crying, I got home and I knew that I needed to unplug from the internet for at least an hour or so. And so I, my roommate and I decided to watch You've Got Mail. Because You've Got Mail is a movie that every single time I watch it, it makes me feel better. Um, another friend later in the week referred to it as medicine because that movie is so healing and so positive and lovely in so many ways. Um, it's absolutely my favorite rom-com, which I am a – as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, I'm a aficionado of rom-coms. Uh-huh. But I'm – usually able to say that it's my favorite movie it just in general when i watch you've got mail one first first of all i know most of the movie by heart and i can <laughs> s- cite you know say the lines along with the actors um but there are so many small lines of dialogue that just are such a positive punch to my heart when when i hear them um you know, my mom is a librarian, and so love of books was instilled in me at a very young age, and the love of books is an important plot point in You've Got Mail. Uh, there's a line that Meg Ryan's character says that she goes, you know, the books that you read as a child impact you in ways that no other books in your life ever can, and that's a line that I always really, really love, and and there are so many about about reading and being a good person, and also about partnership and friends and family and good business. And it is a rom-com, but it is so much more than just a rom-com to me. It is an incredibly meaningful movie. And um, I, I remember one day watching it because I needed to feel better, and then as the moment the movie was over, I just hit replay and watched it all over again. <laughs> I've done that. Yeah. Oh, man. Um. So yeah, I it I watched that the night after the election, and you know it didn't fix anything in a major way, but for like those moments, it just did make me feel better.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. That, uh, as I said a couple weeks ago, that's a movie that I'm gonna have to revisit because it's fall, but also because uh, right. It's happy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Sandra, I'm,
2: I'm with you. I always say that this is, I tend to say this is my favorite movie as well. And I always watch it when I'm sick specifically because Meg Ryan manages to look like the most adorable sick person. And in my right. mind when I'm sick, I'm always just Meg Ryan waiting for a bouquet of daisies. Like that's me when I'm sick.
0: Yeah. yeah she makes like piles of tissues look so dainty and cute. You know? yeah. <laughs> I can't understand. <laughs>
3: Her snot is just glitter
0: yeah (laughs) you know and lucas you and i earlier this year we watched um you know a musical version of this story
1: oh yes
0: and it was so fun so good it was really great and it was fun to i hadn't watched you've got mail since seeing that musical and it was just a fun thing to like compare like oh what the musical was like compared to the way this movie does this story and um it's it's this plot has been adapted in so many different ways and it is a plot that I don't know if it will be made again into a new form, into a new different piece of writing, because I think you've got mail is such a significant movie for a lot of people, but I Uh wouldn't be opposed to it because I think it's such a creative idea. And as the way we communicate, and message each other changes. I would be down to see this plot reinvented time and time again.
1: Yeah. I. Oh, you're. Yeah, you're right. I. <laughs> <laughs> Grudgingly, I'm I'm agreeing with you, but I definitely like I don't want them to do this ever again. <laughs> right. I feel like it's peaked. I feel like it's peaked with You've Got Mail, but uh, it's. um
3: Yeah. I feel similarly to that as, like, West Wing. Like, the show The West Wing. Mm-hmm, like, yeah. yeah, technology will change and the way that all these things look will be different. Like, if you go back and watch that show now, everyone's cell phones and suits, computers are ridiculous. But, like, doing that again in a different context just feels wrong. I don't know. Maybe that's... Maybe everyone latches onto the things that they seem like, you can't change it, but... um I, I feel you, Lucas. There's like this birth of the internet age, where a couple of really great things were made, and it's like you don't need to update it to where everyone has Wi-Fi. I'm like, <laughs> it's fine. We can still do dial-up.
0: You know, yep. one of my. So now we're
3: just being nostalgic, right? Sure. <laughs> one, of, uh,
0: one of my favorite lines, and you've got mail that I think carries on so true to today's age. You know. So much of it is so old, like the way they use internet is completely foreign to us as like current internet users. Um, but at one point, she mentions that emailing to this stranger is really positive for her because she just gets to send her thoughts out into the void, and you know she says, and "So good night, dear void." And um, I feel like lots of social media is the new way of us fulfilling that need. Um, you know, not as much for me with Twitter, because I feel like my Twitter is such a, like, a public part of my persona, but for something like Tumblr, which is a much more private um, use of my internet energy, there are times when it'll be four in the morning, and you you post something on Tumblr, or whatever other social media platform is this for you, where... You don't necessarily need someone to see it or respond to it or, you know, interact with it in any way. You just need to hit publish and, like, send something out into the void, not knowing or needing if anyone will ever read it. And um, I think You've Got Mail, like, really captured what that feeling was like, but in a different decade.
1: Yep. All right. Beautiful.
0: Well, are y'all ready to get into our... Main topic?
1: Let's do it.
0: You gotta keep them separated. This topic that we want to bring up today, whether or not we can can or should separate art from the artists that create it, is something that I think a lot of us constantly have on our mind. Anytime an actor or director or writer comes out as someone who's done something very unsavory or violent or um, just something that doesn't sit well with us and our morals, we all start to wonder, should I still um, participate and, and view or listen to the art that this person creates or is involved in creating. Most recently, I had tweeted after seeing um, a quote in an article uh, where someone interviewed Justin Timberlake, where Justin Timberlake said that Woody Allen was a hero of his and how he was so excited to be working in Woody Allen's latest new movie. And that just really set me off because (laughs) I you know, will not watch any of Woody Allen's movies because of the sexual assaults he's been accused of. And it really cuts to my core every time that a celebrity that I enjoy decides to work with Woody Allen. Um and, you know, Lindsay kind of responded to me and we had a back and forth about this topic on Twitter. And that is What has most recently inspired us to have this conversation at this time? Um, Another thing that recently happened that is a big part of our reason for wanting to talk about it is that Johnny Depp was cast as a major character in the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them franchise. And that was incredibly upsetting for me um, because he has been accused by his ex-wife of domestic abuse and... This was a franchise I was really excited to jump into. Um, Those two things colliding um, spark a lot of internal conflict. And so we wanted to have just kind of an overarching conversation about this topic. Some things that I want us to start talking about are what are the pieces of art or the artist that you absolutely cannot support anymore and why is that the case
3: Uh, right when all the bill cosby stuff was starting to break um and maybe i'll just break the ice with this because it feels the most obvious but maybe it isn't obvious to other people um when the bill cosby stuff was starting to break and it wasn't like uh hadn't become such a, a large and kind of obvious story um in the way it's become now there were was somebody at my office who was moving and giving away a lot of stuff, and they're like giving away all of their Bill Cosby CDs, and I was like, "Oh, I'll take these," and they were like, "Wait, really?" And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, yeah. I mean, is, these are still funny. I, I mean, we don't know what's happened yet. Like, I'll totally take these." And uh, yeah, my opinion on that has changed <laughs> since then. Um, And that's a real bummer because The Cosby Show was a great show and very meaningful to a lot of people. And uh, Bill Cosby's stand-up specials were very meaningful to a lot of people. A lot of people in comedy, like, Bill Cosby is the reason they got into it. Um, I think Judd Apatow, one of uh, Bill Cosby's loudest critics, um, whenever everything started coming to light... uh, was one of the loudest critics because he had admired and uh, idolized Bill Cosby so much, and so yeah, any anything that Bill Cosby um, has put out, uh, past, present, or future, is now uh, art that I can't uh, stomach or support. That one's
1: well. I think I think it's difficult, especially with Bill Cosby, because a lot of the stuff um, that you know he was accused of happened during those times right can't really i mean you know that that i feel like is something that you can't separate at all because it was happening during the things that that you that you love about him that that was happening at that time whereas um and i i mean i feel like we're gonna say like a million times we don't support these people but like something like johnny depp like we have no idea what his history with abuses or anything like that before this incident that he was accused of um, with his ex-wife recently. Um, So, I mean, how do you feel about what's eating Gilbert? Grape? How do you feel about Willy Wonka? Well, that's a terrible movie, but (laughs) overall, (laughs) I mean, how do you feel about his work as a kid, like 21 Jump Street? Like, can you separate that kind of art from something that he's going to do post these accusations. You know, and not saying that he wasn't abusing people at that point in time sure. either. I'm just saying, like,
0: you know, the Johnny Depp one is the one that's on my mind the most right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um and I can just say what my expectations are for myself as far as interacting with him as yeah. an artist is that I have decided that I going forth will not financially support any movie that he is a part of from today on. Um, And I won't watch the movies that he's a part of from today on. Um, And so, but regarding movies that he's made in the past, first of Mm -hmm. all, I'm not a big Johnny Depp fan as an actor. So it's not like I like a lot of his movies. So it's not a (laughs) a huge issue for me. However, I am a major fan of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Right. Um, Yeah. And so as far as my own, moral um, justification. I don't have a problem watching the Pirates of the Caribbean movies because I'm not by watching these movies that I already own. I'm not financially supporting Johnny Depp in any way. Okay. Um, However, I don't think I'll know until I try to watch one, whether seeing him in this movie will mm-hmm. affect me emotionally. Um, you know, I Nate Parker is another figure that mm-hmm. we can have this discussion about. Uh, for those of you that don't know, he's an actor, writer, and director. And he, this year is coming out or has come out. I don't know if it's come out yet. Uh, Not the, wide release. Yeah, with the movie uh, The Birth of a Nation that had a lot of critical acclaim. And before it came out into theaters... Uh, there was a lot of publicity about the fact that when he was in college, he was accused of raping a girl um, with his college roommate, who is the co-writer of Birth of the Nation with him, um, which you know is the movie he directed and starred in. Um, so a lot of people are refusing to go see Birth of a Nation. And the other day, I put on this movie that I had already seen, but that I remember that I really liked, um and i just wanted to rewatch it it's called about alex and as like a few minutes into the movie i remembered that nate parker was in that movie and it, you know he's one of many characters and i had just forgotten that he was in the movie until i was rewatching it and every time he was on screen all i could think about were his rape charges um and when he wasn't on screen, I enjoyed the movie just fine. But when he was, it, I couldn't get it out of my head. And so I don't know if I'm going to have that same experience or not when watching Pirates of the Caribbean. That's yet to be determined. But um, mm-hmm. but I don't feel guilty about watching that movie because I don't feel like by doing so, I'm financially showing support for Johnny Depp as an actor.
1: Mm-hmm. So what 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 about situations where you're not financially supporting Let, let's say it came out on netflix so let's actually let's actually switch to someone like Le, like lena dunham who yeah so she's the showrunner on girls she has said i would say extremely racist racist things <laughs> publicly yeah, that's fair um, um so a show like that let's say it comes out you know it's on hbo it's something you already let's say pay for Would you feel comfortable watching it?
0: Well, I do love the show, Girls, and I do watch it. Um, Yep. Lena Dunham, I think, is a hard figure to reconcile in this conversation. You know, there are a lot of figures where it's very clear cut for me. Sexual assault, domestic abuse. um, Those are clear cut violence that if someone commits, I can't deal with them as a figure anymore. Lena Dunham has said things that I don't agree with and wish she hadn't said. They haven't been, at least the things that I have read, to the extreme where I am ready to write her off as a person with important things to say. I appreciate Mm -hmm. a lot of her writing. I appreciate her TV show. And so I am not a fan of a lot of things that she does with her public persona, um, I think she sometimes has a hard time of like distinguishing whether this is a thought that needs to be published. I think she suffers from the idea that every thought she has needs to be published. Um, but yeah, that's oh yeah, that I read is... about
3: that in her autobiography,
0: <laughs> <You're> right? <laughs> and so that's a she's a figure that I am continually having to reconcile. My fandom of her, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: So, so with her, you can separate the art from the artist.
0: I don't think I, I don't think separate would be the right word in this case because who she is as a person impacts her art in so many important right. ways. You know, she's not just an actor that's in a movie. You know what I mean? Right. She is right. like the creator of her art and her art is about who she is often as a person um Mm -hmm. and so much of that really resonates with me and i think is important art to um consume and so i have to reconcile the parts that aren't
2: you know when i think about enjoying i guess we if we use the word enjoy i think someone so far has said you know can you stomach some of this work. And I think for me it's it's more of an emotional question than a logical question. So I can draw moral lines for myself, but I've found similarly to you, Sandra, that when I read or hear some of these things that people have said or done, it's really hard for me to watch them do anything. Um Woody Allen is an example of someone that I I loved his work um, from when I was in high school, starting when I was in high school and i really enjoyed it and have shared it with people and have loved sharing it with people and as i learned about what happened and the more i learned about what happened i can't i've tried to watch his movies and read an interview or anything interact with his work in any way and i haven't been able to do it i just feel sick and i can't you know i think that there are a lot of a lot of conversations about what art can be and what ser- what purpose it can serve um but I can't find a lot of redemption. I don't want to say that Woody Allen will never do another good thing in his life, but I can't interact with his work in a positive way. It can't happen for me anymore. And, um, yeah. and I think that I feel sad about that. when I want to think about like Bill Cosby and how nostalgic that is. And, um, you know, I've heard several TV critics say like, I wanted to show my kids, as Emily Nussbaum, actually I mentioned earlier, said (laughs) I wanted to show my kids the Cosby show. I was ready to do it. They were the right age and I was excited to share it with them and then this stuff came to light and I was like, damn it, I can't do that anymore. And that's sad, but you know what's really sad is the rape of 60 women and what's really sad is that we want to believe the best of people that we love and people whose art we love and... Sometimes that isn't true, and I think it's really painful to deal with that, but I don't know. I think there's good work to be done in that.
3: Let me ask this to y'all. Um, with a lot of these, so far, there's been, uh, we've said several things about, you know, like Sandra, you said for uh, Johnny Depp, I will never watch anything he he makes going forward. Um, are there circumstances with these artists and the art that they make where... Uh, it could, that person could put forth a public effort that would change how you felt about their art and how you could consume it? Or is it kind of this thing where like, man, they, I know this about them, I can't unknow this about them, and I don't think I'll ever be able to enjoy what they put out there again.
0: I think in cases of physical violence, that is a harder thing to reconcile with you know if Mm -hmm. johnny depp or um if if johnny depp put out some sort of an apology statement um i think that would be appreciated but i don't know if that would do enough for me um however i think there are things that celebrities have been accused of or done publicly that are heinous that they have apologized for in a meaningful way and I think that has affected the way I view them and me, and let me continue to enjoy their art. Um, I think Lena Dunham has written some good apologies. I won't say that she's apologized for everything that she should have. Um, I think a great example of a good apology would be, I, I think it was a few years ago, Jonah Hill was caught using a a homophobic slur against a paparazzi. Um, He was filmed by this paparazzi who was, like, harassing him. And he was caught, like, on camera using this homophobic slur. And either the next day or a few days later, he went on Jimmy Fallon, and he offered what I consider to be a very heartfelt and well-thought-out apology for his actions. Um, An apology that made me respect him. Um, And I think well-done apologies mean a lot. However, most apologies from celebrities are usually not well done. And so they don't truly take responsibility for their actions. They usually apologize for offending people and not apologize for the things they've actually done um the the best example of this is any apology jeremy renner has ever put out um if you want to <laughs> look at what yes. a non apology apology looks like just google jeremy renner apology yeah um but yeah I, so
3: I, i'll say oh go ahead
0: no that's okay good
3: i was just going to say i there was um a long form interview uh with nate parker that came out around the time of the, the movie's limited release that I was really impressed by. Um, I still haven't seen Birth of a Nation, and I don't know what kind of emotional um, pull it knowing about um, his, his past would have on my viewing experience of that. But in the interview, he spoke a lot about acknowledging um, that he had said homophobic stuff in the past um he he did a lot of real reckoning with um what he had said and done and even like um I think it was pretty quickly after an interview a different interview he had done where he was just not very apologetic it was one of a non-apology apology um and had he indicated in the interview that he um read the backlash that he got for his non-apology apology apology, and it really started asking questions of um, strong women of color who he knew um, and really tried to to listen to the answers and then um, beyond that at the end of it said that he wanted to try to use his influence to make sure that um, situations like what his experience was in college didn't like, that didn't happen again, that he was working to be part of the solution um, rather than, you know, just just looking for forgiveness for his, his actions and talking about how he has a hard time living with his actions at all, but he wants to try to make sure it didn't happen anymore. And, of course, I'm paraphrasing all of that. I wish I could remember uh, the exact uh, publication. I want to say it was Ebony, um, but it, I was really impressed by it, um, and that... In my mind, was like, I don't know what else to ask of the guy than that. Like, and I think you're right. I think Jonah Hill's a really good uh, example of of that kind of thing. But I think it's very important to stand and not support things are that are immoral. Um,
2: I and, mean, I, I hear that, but I think that that's, I think that's a question because I think that's so subjective. You know, like yeah, yeah.
3: No, I just mean like I think it is. I, what I was trying to get at, it essentially is that I would always so much rather have someone work to make positive good than to be in a position where I get to, uh, be the abstaining party and feel like that is the most good that I can do in the situation.
2: I hear that, but I'll also say that I feel like you know there's so many people making movies. There's a lot of media happening. And so to some extent, I mean, and I don't know that this is always the right way to feel or what I would ask other people to do, but there are plenty of times where I've thought there are other people making movies, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there are other <laughs> there are other people that I can hear from that don't have this kind of track record. And we have to be, there's so much media and we have to be so discerning um, about what we choose. You know, we, we leave out a lot by choosing things we are leaving out so much more than we're ever consuming. Mm-hmm. And so I would much rather consume things that they don't have that track record behind them, you know?
3: Yeah.
0: Also, I think that people often mistakenly think that us saying, or myself saying, you shouldn't support this artist. You shouldn't go see their movies. They shouldn't be allowed to work in Hollywood anymore is the same as saying they should be in prison. And it's not the same. Right. (laughs) Not the same. Getting to work in Hollywood is a grand, glamorous privilege. And to say that someone shouldn't get that privilege anymore is not condemning them to a life of torture, solitude. It's saying your track record gets this privilege revoked.
3: You got to take up woodworking. Sorry, (laughs) you still have millions in the bank.
0: Exactly. (laughs) You know, you know, Mel Gibson is coming out with or has come out with a movie recently, and
1: Xr Ridge.
0: Right, and there was a great piece, and I, I I don't remember the publication of it either, but I'm sure if you Googled, you could find it um, about how Mel Gibson was recently on um, Colbert's late night show, and Colbert did a segment with him. I think it was called like Deep Thoughts with Mel Gibson. Where he gave Mel Gibson so many chances and opportunities in the conversation <laughs> to own up to his past behavior, apologize for it, um, discuss, you know, how that affects his current life. And every opportunity that was given, he really dis- diminishes his past acts of violent and racism. He does this thing where he refers to it as one drunken night, as if the only thing that people object to him was this one episode of his and not multiple (laughs) episodes. He often makes himself into the victim where he talks about how, you know, people kind of avoided him for years in the industry because of this one night, as if, as if he's like this poor thing that didn't get to, star in feature films and make more films after his behavior and i have zero sympathy for him or any other actor or director or writer that gets banned from the industry for doing things like this because like i said he's not being banished from society he's being banished from making yeah i think that's a great point which is very very privileged
1: and i think a lot of what like what our role in stuff like that is, is like you said, like not paying for those movies and yeah. not, 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 not necessarily like promoting it, but not, um, I guess, well, I guess it is promoting it with our money. Um, yeah. so not paying for anything that, I mean, cause basically what you have to do is show producers that this person is not some, somebody that people in general will support. They're
0: no longer bankable. That's, figures.
1: Right, right. Because producers don't care. They don't They don't care what these people have done as long as they're going to make money. So if you feel like that, that that they're someone who you want to I guess object to, you have to do it with your money.
3: That's the only way anything's going to get done. Yeah. You and know? it's so interesting thinking about like the culture that I grew up, in. And I think we all in some way grew up in a, in a similar thing at least, was uh, you know, boycotting things for showing subject matter that you found objectionable. Like, I think that there was... Like, someone
2: smokes pot in this movie. Someone nobody smokes, watch
3: it. Nobody watch it. Someone says a swear word. There's a sex scene. Like, don't watch. Th- there was a clean flicks movement that, I mean, it's still a huge thing in Utah among um, Mormon people of faith. And it's just like, that... The sh- <laughs> I'm just so much more for... Um, using money in a way that influences people who have done actual real-life actions um, that are negative as opposed to, like, showing slices of life that could sometimes be unpleasant but are important to see. Like, you know, there might be a violent scene or a scene of profanity or something like that that is important for showing a environmental, like, well, being I true mean, to the... Go ahead.
2: I, I would say that the everyone we have here, it's not, like our concern is not these people's lifestyles in terms of like their drug use or their language. You know, it's about the harm that they have actively caused to other people. Right. And so I think that that, you know, when I think about that pain, that's what keeps me from being able to stomach consuming this work is thinking about that pain. And like, is my entertainment in watching this movie over another movie really worth it? endorsing that in any small way including my you know 750 movie ticket right Right.
3: less of like oh i saw that in the movie and that offended me and more of like that person caused this other person pain i don't want them to be in more scenarios where they're doing that yeah
2: like i don't want to endorse them and give them more power
3: Yeah. yeah
0: you know um i think one of the areas that's trickier for me is um, and, you know, this is kind of what started this whole conversation is that I get so upset at the people in the entertainment industry that choose yes. to ignore um, yes. the, like, the acts that these people have done. And so, like, I, I want to just read off of a list of actors that have chosen to work with Woody Allen After the publication of Dylan Farrow's letter to the New York Times, which was in February of 2014. So these are people that should completely know better because it was incredibly public after this time. You know, yes. Um, Joaquin Phoenix, Emma Stone, Steve Carell, Jesse Eisenberg, Corey Stoll, Parker Posey, Anna Camp, Kristen Stewart, Blake Lively, Miley Cyrus, Kate Winslet, Juno Temple, Justin Timberlake, and plenty others that aren't as big of names, you know, and everyone that I listed is an actor whose work I typically enjoy, um, and or not all of the people I listed, but some of those people I also respect as people typically, you know, the interviews that I've read with them and the things that they've had to say, I consider them respectable people, and it breaks my heart to see them look over Woody Allen's acts to continue to work with him because of fame and prestige and money. And I debate with myself, should I, how, how accountable should I be holding these people? You know, should I not see any Steve Carell movies from now on because he chose to work with Woody (laughs) Allen and I'm upset by that? I have a harder time doing that. You know, and I think Woody
2: Allen is, to me, he's the worst. Like, to me, of of all the celebrities, like, he's about as as bad as it gets. And I, I'm i 100% on the same page as you, Sandra, because I want to consume those things, too. And I, you know, everyone you listed are the kind of people that, they didn't get their big break from Woody Allen. You no. know, they were already on the scene. They could have easily turned this down and... I don't know what to do like, that either.
0: Yeah, specifically famous people as well. Like, as our president-elect was quoted saying, God. when you're a star, they let you get away with it. And
3: He wasn't lying.
0: And that is, like, very, yeah, very, very true to these situations. I read an interview with Miley Cyrus recently where someone asked her about working with Woody Allen and, like, that choice and when what has been accused of him has like been made public. And she just gave some answer about how she was like, you know, I've been a celebrity most of my life and I know what the tabloids get wrong. And I know what people say about your family. And, and I just can't hold that against other celebrities. And, and that really like made it aware for me that, that's what they all have in common is that this, there's this celebrity and there's this, this (laughs) brotherhood of, of like, we're, we're all attacked by the public. And so anything goes, and that is incredibly frustrating. And. I mean, I think so much of the problem is,
2: is the difference between a reputable source and a you know, not reputable source. Right. And it, never ceases to amaze me both in this conversation and others that people will try to hold up things from incredibly well-researched historically non or fairly non-biased sources against like straight up gossip and try to put those on the same level yeah
3: i mean false equivalency was all over this election right right prevalent thing and
2: i think that that's exactly yeah i think that's a huge problem in hollywood as well and i think that that is the most common excuse to allow people to get away with this shit. And it's unbelievable that people are willing to do that to me.
0: And I would also say that because we see these celebrities that are so willing to work with people that have been accused of things, it makes me very grateful when celebrities are very vocal about refusing to work with stars like this. Yes, Um, absolutely. You know, Lena Dunham has a lot of, a lot of flaws, but one thing that I do respect her for, and this doesn't make her other flaws better, but I do respect the way her and her partner Jack Antonoff are incredibly vocal about refusing to work with people that have been accused of sexual assault, like Woody Allen. And, you know, people like Judd Apatow that are very vocal about calling out people like Bill Cosby. Um, and they're not afraid of what that's going to do to their careers. And, I, and there's, I'm sure, plenty of others that I, I'm not coming to my mind at the moment. But um, when it does happen, I really, really respect those artists.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're using their influence for to call for just outcomes. And like for justice yep. to happen.
0: I also think that it sets an example to other celebrities that, like, once you're at a certain level of fame, calling out other people, it's not going to like, I don't think Judd Apatow is like (laughs) getting any less work because of what he's, you know, about the activism that he does. And and I don't think Lena Dunham is either. And so, I mean, I think the people that don't want to work with Lena Dunham don't want to work with her, whether she calls out these people or not. And I hope that that, like, inspires celebrities with, like, some power. And I think we see that it is in certain ways. You know, we see a lot more, this is sort of a side topic, but we see more and more female celebrities calling out wage gap, uh, the wage gap, and, like, being, not being afraid to, like, say, this is shitty and we deserve like equal pay and that's something that was never done before and so yeah i just it i'm hopeful that things can get better in this industry okay, i think so the there's...
1: key is oh go for it
0: oh sorry sorry like is good no, you're
1: good go for it
0: i was gonna say that there is one other person that
2: i want to bring up um sure because for me this is the trickiest one is ike perlmutter is that he's saying yeah ike perlmutter yeah marvel ceo um and i don't I haven't done a lot of reading about this, um, but I do. I do know he's got a lot of problems, including donating <laughs> significantly to Trump, um, and I mean, I think we can all tell from the way that Marvel's movies are constructed, women are not given as many opportunities, and that to me is the trickiest one on this list because someone like a Woody Allen or I mean even Alina Dunham mm-hmm. like. Their hand is so evident in all that they do and their body of work, because they're so hyper-involved, is necessarily smaller. And, I mean, what do y'all think about the CEO of
3: marvel
1: yeah I, th- I think that's difficult because it isn't one you know artist that you can stay away from or something like that um he's not even an artist he's someone who just has a controlling hand in a lot of art um from the comics to the tv shows to the movies and i think that's extremely difficult he was he was behind um don cheadle replacing um terrence howard um, in Iron Man 2 because he said all black people look alike and it doesn't matter if we swap them out. Um he he he's been against <laughs> Shit, I didn't know um, that. Yeah, he's he's been against um Marvel doing any female-driven superhero movies because he says that, that that they won't just won't make any money and he uses movies like Elektra and Catwoman as examples um from the past, but um he's been 100% against that as well as obviously donating to you know trump's foundations and stuff like that but um i think uh like a a, a year ago people have been you know sp- speaking out about, uh, against him and um a lot of people have been boycotting marvel comics um and he's actually he's still ceo but he's been taken off of control of um marvel's movies um that's completely underneath um kevin feige Kevin Feige. Yeah, ke- yeah, it's completely underneath Kevin Feige now. Much better, and, dude. Yeah, and so, and and as you can see, we're getting a Black Panther. We're getting um, <laughs> right. Captain, Captain Marvel. Marvel. Eventually, eventually, Captain Marvel. Right. Um. And but I I I think a lot of this is difficult because I mean we can say just don't support Marvel at all. Um, but I think there's more to it. You have to be able to speak to why. You have to be able to speak to this specific person um, is ruining <laughs> this franchise or this company. So it's a difficult, and it's it's it's, a difficult thing.
3: Yeah, I think it, some of the nuance comes in as well in what what is the ultimate goal. And so I think with... Uh, I was listening to the Slash Filmcast and they talked about this a little bit in their doctor strange review but um how very like a lot of the comics that marvel came from were like written by a white guy right around the 60s like they're drawing from a lot of the same pool and so there's a lot of like really problematic stuff in the source material but now a lot of marvel comics you know there's Marvel Comics, where the hero is a Muslim girl. The new Iron Man is a black woman. There's um, a bunch of different types of... Representation? Representation, and Marvel in particular is pushing for types of representation that, um, just as a direct comparison, DC hasn't uh, worked towards. So... In general, the trajectory of Marvel is a good one, but it's hard, especially when they have uh, whitewashed roles and whenever their CEO is um, influencing all of these things really negatively. So I, that uh, is a complicating factor for me whenever I'm thinking through it as well.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's difficult. I think I think it's not something that there's a you know one specific answer to that we can say you know do this and things will get better, um, much like our presidential situation at the moment. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. But I, I I do feel like having these conversations and talking about things like this and um, you know letting letting other people know that you know hey these are the people. That are running your media, these are the people that are directing the movies that you like and the shows that you watch. Um, I think people being aware of what they've done, what people have done gives people that feeling that Sandra said, like you like even if you would try to watch it, you physically can't because you have that that yeah. gut feeling of how uncomfortable this is to participate in this piece of media. And I think I just think that's what has to happen that as if enough people know what's happening with these specific actors and actresses that they're going to have that visceral reaction. um, And that's, what's going to keep them away from (laughs) media that, 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 that the person does, it just has to be a, an instinct.
3: Yeah. I think another tie in, like you were saying to our current political situation is these to just to echo these kind of conversations, just, like, talking about having open and honest conversations about facts um, and what's going on with the people in these movies, not coming with this stance of, you know, I can't believe you saw the new Johnny Depp movie or I can't believe that you went and saw Birth of a Nation. Like... Don't you know that you should never ever instead coming to a situate if you're if a movie comes up and um, or if a conversation uh, topic is leaning that way, being honest about it and like saying yeah, let's let's bring this out here and let's talk about it because maybe you know something I don't, maybe I know something you don't uh, that would inform whether or not we're gonna choose to to support this with our money. Um, so yeah, I just think having those conversations, Uh, from a position of giving the other person a benefit of a doubt and assuming that the other person uh, would, you know, not want to support something bad. (laughs) Like, if they don't know it, then if they are, then maybe it's because they don't know something.
0: So here's one thing that I'd be interested in hearing from y'all. I think it's, you know, good of us to talk about here are the people that we cannot support anymore because of the things that they've done and the way that consuming their art makes us feel. But I think an interesting thing for us to do, and y'all can tell me if you want to do this or not, (laughs) would be to maybe admit to the art that we still enjoy despite knowing that like the person isn't uh, that made it was objectionally a like bad person or did a really bad thing. And, you know, you can't justify it. You just like, still enjoy the that piece of art. I can kind of give an example of my own to give you to give you a frame of reference. Like, um, I cannot yeah, Chris Brown as a figure disgusts me in so many ways. And Anything he's made since his incident with Rihanna, his violent incident with Rihanna, I cannot stomach or consume. However, if you play a Chris Brown song that came out while I was in high school, I'm still going to love that (laughs) song. Chris Brown was a great pop artist, and hearing his song from that time period specifically, I am so overwhelmed by the positive nostalgia of listening to him with my high school friends that I still really enjoy that music. Um, I don't feel this way particularly, but I've heard several people say the same thing about R. Kelly's music, Um, you know, or at least certain songs from R. Kelly that the voice and the music was so good that, you know, things that he's done don't affect your enjoyment of those songs, even if you acknowledge that the things that he's done are awful
1: yeah
0: y'all don't have to have examples but i
1: i do okay but i'm embarrassed (laughs) um mine mine is um max landis's movie chronicle i max max landis has been extremely um vocal mostly about his sexism yeah um (laughs) uh, and how he feels about women leading movies um But his his movie Chronicle that he that he wrote, I think, in 2012 um, is a fantastic origin story superhero movie that I hate that I love, but is a is a really good, you know, I guess, kind of start to a lot of the, I guess, outcry for better superhero movies,
0: you know. Lucas, Max Landis, I think, is an interesting figure in this conversation because I don't know a lot of his work. I've only as far as I know, I've he only doesn't have
1: a lot. Right, of Right.
0: I've only seen one movie that he's written. Um, and he's a figure that I kind of just refer to as just like your general douchebag. And I think <laughs> that for me personally, there is a difference between artists that do really explicitly awful things like violence or saying just incredibly racist things. And then there's also, and then there's general douchebaggery and I don't like Max Landis as a person. I don't want to hear his opinions on things. I think he's gross, but I don't feel guilty consuming his art because if I felt guilty consuming the art made by uh, douchebags, uh, there would be no art for me to consume. <laughs>
3: that is exactly how I feel about Kanye West. Like, he is a megalomaniac, and a lot of his lyrics are really chauvinist, and he has shown time and time again that he is feels so entitled to be able to say whatever he wants to say and feels like he should not be called out on it. And, um... Some of that is uh about you know cultural like taking back of power and not being silenced because he is a part of a demographic that has been historically silenced. And I get that. Um
2: but also he's but, kind of an asshole.
3: But he's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't well, he can be. Yeah, he can you can't pretend that Kanye isn't an asshole. And like I have gotten so much esteem from his music from his uh, braggadocio uh, bordering on megalomania there have been I can listen to that music and uh, it is an effective counterbalance to the kind of self hate and self deprecation that I kind of came up with unfortunately and so it kind of balances out a little bit it works pretty well when I'm listening to it but like it's, it's hard even though I give him all these passes enough to where i can like see some of the stuff that he wants to do some uh, he's you know got on so many twitter rants that are terrible and then one time said bill cosby innocent and never explained that but he also went on a rant about like why uh bullying and the fashion industry and the education industry um have a lot of problems and made like actually coherent and compelling points about it. And so it's like, it's such a mixed bag with kind of listening to Kanye West for me, him as a, a person. Um, but overall, like I don't, I don't feel bad about consuming the art that he makes. I think that the art he makes is uh, a net positive.
2: I think, so I approach this from my main media consumption is literature. Um and I think that I, I studied English lit in college and there's a whole lot of conversation and conversations about literature about the literary canon and like what we esteem as like worth being taught in schools and like the classics we expect everyone to be familiar with mm-hmm. and you know historically that's like straight white men um like everything else and I think for me when it comes to literature I've still felt that it's important to consume a lot of that stuff Um, and I mean, it's, it's sort of different because the span is, you know, a little greater the the time spans a little greater than with like TV shows. Um, but I, I try really hard to counterbalance that. So if I am consuming a lot of stuff by straight white guys, I'm, I try to check myself and say like, okay, I need to go find other voices. And even if that takes a little more effort or I choose to buy their book instead of get it from the library, I want to hear from other people and I think that I think that if you're being incredibly passive about your media consumption in general it's easy to just take in one kind of voice um and one good way to I guess counter against the not the truly heinous but the general douchebaggery um is to seek out the different voices you know
0: absolutely yeah well
3: let's have a toast for the Uh. (laughs) douchebag
0: Nope. Nope. <laughs> I know that this is also even though we're ending this conversation right now, this is a conversation that has no end because people will continue to do wrong things and we will continue to stand against them. And this is a conversation that also like, you know, our as we've illustrated, our feelings about this are complex and we won't have the same response to every time something like this happens and there's a lot of things that go into the way we feel about the media we consume and so um yeah i'm i expect us to continue this conversation on this podcast and just in general with each other so let's all sign off and um tell people where they can find us online so that if they want to continue this conversation with us there they can do so lawson where can we find you
3: Uh, You can find me on uh, Twitter, Uh, like Sandra said, a lot of retweets, not so much tweeting these days, but I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Instagram, at Lawson West.
0: Lindsay, where can we find you?
2: I am on Twitter, um, under Lindsay Soured, and on Instagram, under Lindsay I Soured, someone stole my name before I could (laughs) slide in there, Um, and I'm also on Letterboxd, if you want to see what I'm watching. And on Goodreads, if you want to see what I'm reading.
1: Well, I'm Lucas. I, uh, I, I'm the one who stole Lindsay Soward on Instagram. So <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> now, uh, I'm Lucas and stuff on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Letterboxd, everywhere. I'll probably be watching Arrival this week, so
0: I'm excited you for that. What I have to oh, say okay. there. And you can find me on all social platforms at Sandra Omstutz. My last name is spelled A M S T U T Z. Um, and you'll notice if you start to follow me right now that I'm not very active on any platform other than Twitter because I can't really find the mood or the energy to be active on those platforms. But if you follow me on Twitter, you'll get to hear a lot of important things about the election So and the current state of our country. That's all that I can stand to talk about right now except for, I guess, tonight in this podcast. Um, <laughs> So, and also you can find uh, our podcast account on Twitter at Feeling It Pod. You can also find us on Facebook at the same name. For those of us that follow us on Facebook, I want to apologize. We're not great at keeping up with the Facebook. Um, it's not, I think, any of our primary social network that we use. Yeah,
3: raise your hand if you log into Facebook once a month in this group.
0: <laughs> well, I've logged into Facebook every day, but I don't really post there. And so... Ah. Um. It often slips my mind to post our podcast stuff there. So please um, be patient with us on that platform. But Twitter is where we post most of our stuff. So please go follow us there. And um, tweet at us if you have thoughts um, or feelings that you want to share with us related to the podcast today. Also, if you ever have something that you are excited about maybe hearing us talk about on the podcast, like a certain movie or TV show or topic idea... We'd always love to hear that. We can't guarantee that we'll fulfill it, but we'd love to hear what you're interested in hearing us talk about. So feel free to let us know. Um,
3: I'll guarantee that you'll hear it.
0: <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I'm, joking. I'm joking. All right. Well, Cool. thanks for listening to us, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs>
3: Lindsay loves you burning me even more than I love you burning me. <laughs>
2: it always makes me laugh. <laughs>
1: Well, no one loves me burning you as much as I love me burning you, so.
0: <laughs> On that note, thanks for listening, Let's everybody. Let's wrap it up. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right, bye, Adios. bye, Thank you. Goodbye, now. Goodbye. Go away.
3: I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Yeah. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it.
4: That's our show for tonight, people.